Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Empower Podcast. My name is Byron Beasley. I'm a software engineer. And we also have Steve Meehan, who is a professional recruiter for the gaming industry. Um, in the past, Steve and I have noticed a lot of the same mistakes and pitfall, pitfalls being made by people looking to transition into the gaming industry, people that are early career, and we'd like to kind of help point out those mistakes and help them avoid them if possible. And to do so, we bring on guests from around the industry to kind of help share their insights, share their story. And today we have a very special guest. We have Alexia Mandeville, who is actually a lead game designer at Niantic. So uh, Alexia, do you want to kind of introduce yourself and maybe give us a little bit of your background and we can go from there? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, I'm Alexia. I am originally a Floridian. I went to school at University of Central Florida for game design undergrad, as well as uh, I got my grad in virtual environments um, with a focus on augmented reality games. And since then, I went into haptics in the Bay Area and have popped around from company to company. And I've landed at Niantic, uh, currently working on games and AR technology. Cool. And one thing I wanted to point out, um, you guys may not be familiar with the name Niantic, but I'm pretty sure you're familiar with some of their products, namely uh, Pokemon Go, right? (laughs) That's a pretty big one. And... First of all, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to have this chat with us and to help inspire the game developers of the world. Um, one of the things I love to do is ask about what is your background? Like out of all of the things that you could be working in in the world, how did you decide that you wanted to work in video games? Because I know everybody's got a very unique kind of story, their own unique kind of ways that they got into the industries and inspirations. Like what is that for you? Yeah, I am a generalist at heart, and I love just learning about new stuff. And being a game designer is really about knowing how to do a lot of different things. And there are some things that you master eventually, but really just knowing how to work with engineers, work with artists, work with data science. And I love being able to dabble. So how I started getting into it is my grandpa and I would play Myst. He was building computers as I was a kid and TVs. So I got really into technology and games because he was just curious about them. So I started doing like graphic design as a kid and playing Neopets and doing HTML and HTML for the the web page if any of you have played Neopets before. And I just got into the intersection of art and technology and I originally wanted to do chemistry. My parents are both pharmacists. So they were like, do chemistry. So I started doing that. I did not love that. Um, I made my way into computer science. Uh, I do not love hardcore coding either. I do coding, but I'm just not, I'm not uh, dedicated enough to get into the architecture of it all. So I went into the game design program at UCF and it was just a really awesome way to utilize art and technology. Um, And since then I've just been like being able to do a lot of different things. As you saw, I started in like a data science role, working at a a mental health facility. And I've done a lot of different odd jobs. I've been a pedicabber, I've been a graphic designer, I've been a game designer, and just being able to experience all of these different uh, facets of life and, and job roles. Um, is really inspires it inspires me in my games and it's imperative to like get inspiration from different places 
to make different games and like come up with different mechanics and come up with different systems. So, so I kind of have a question related to that. Um, I'm also consider myself to be a bit of a generalist. Um, have you found that to be a bit of a challenge or an advantage when you're looking for when you're seeking opportunities? I think it's always been an advantage for me. Um, I think, to be honest, I think a lot of people, I, I can never speak really deeply on something. I can speak at a high level about like game systems and game tools. I've gotten really into game tools this past year and like creating all of these places where game designers like myself can input data into the systems. Um, so interviewing, I've always had to do a lot of practicing for interviewing in order to like speak really in depth on like the design of something, but the strengths that you get from being a general generalist is being able to collaborate. And I think that the job market is really shifting or has shifted to collaboration in general. And they're really looking for people who can work with a, a bunch of different roles because whereas at like Facebook, we would reorg and like switch teams every six months to a year. So it's really important that you know how to work with a lot of different people and you can mm -hmm. like speak their mm -hmm. language. Awesome. So I think it's only going to get more shifting that way as we can look up things on the internet and like the internet has the depth of knowledge um, and just being able to work with a variety of different people. One of the things that you mentioned is that you went to UCF and obviously you got a uh, a degree in there. Um, I know one of the things like our audience asks about is not just the technical skills, but you touched on what are the soft skills that are needed in order to survive in the industry. Can you go into some of that a little more in detail? And what are the, some of the things that you learned regarding soft skills that you may not have picked up in like a formal academic environment? Yeah, um, in college, so in undergrad I started getting in, involved in uh, local game communities. So I never actually got involved in IGDA, but we had things like Indienomicon, which was this generalist indie game developers, and we would they would host game jams. I hosted a few game jams myself. I would go to Global Game Jam every year. Um, there was this one that was space-themed because Orlando is around the Space Center. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my first game jam. So anyways, I did around 16 of these, and that's what really taught me um, not just the technical skills, but to answer your question, like the soft skills of project planning, um, understanding scope. I feel like that's the hardest thing for people to understand when they start getting into games. They're like, I'm going to make an MMO. No, you're not going to make an MMO your first game. Uh, dip your toe in. So yeah, scope, knowing how to plan projects, knowing how to plan the correct time estimates, Understanding how long it takes to make one single animation as like your animator friend is going to make. They can't just whip it up in an hour. Mm -hmm. um, and just being able to speak, speak and present your work and like pitch it in a, a shorter way than getting people into playing an entire game. So <laughs> after these jams, we would bring it to the, the small conferences in the area and a lot of people wouldn't play an entire game demo. Like if we made a three hour game, they're not gonna play that game in 15 minutes or 10 minutes that they're there. So you either have to cut it up and splice it up into like a small version of it, or just like make a presentation on it with gameplay videos. And that was a really useful tool and like useful practice for me to get into in order to present to people at work, like stakeholders, executives, or just like people who are gonna fund you to make your game. 
Um, so those are the types of soft skills that I didn't get out of school as much, even though we did do presentations. It was just more like in the real world. That's awesome. And you mentioned that you participated in 16 game jams. <laughs> Holy cow. That's that's awesome. And I'm guess uh, I'm wondering, like, out of all of those game jams, which is the most memorable game that came or, or experience that you had out of all of those? Yeah, uh, there are a lot of really bad ideas. Uh, there are a lot of really failed games, as I'm sure you've known. Have you two done game jams? Yep. Yes, definitely. Um, my favorite one was most recently, so Facebook, always on campus in the Bay, uh, they held Global Game Jam, and I've been like three years in a row. But this one, I got like a few of my friends to come in. A couple of my Orlando friends actually flew in uh, to come jam with us because we had been frequent jammers in Orlando. And we were, so it was a concept artist, a 3D modeler, um, a, an engineer, myself, and then another engineer. And um, we were just like spitballing ideas about things. Some of these people had never met. So we were spitballing ideas and we landed on one. We ended up calling it House Haunters and it was a, an asymmetric game. Um, I always loved making asymmetric games and game jams because they just seem lower scope um, if they're not networked and they're local. And you get a lot of like uh, gameplay that you can play over and over again. So um, we made this cat game where you are looking to buy a house, you get into the house and you find out it's haunted and the ghosts are trying to break things. So one team of people are the ghosts and one team of people are the cats. Mm -hmm. The only thing is the cats can't see the ghosts. So they're trying to like track them down and fix the house as they're breaking it. It was just fun. Holy it was great. <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. And I love that in game jams, that is a type of environment where you can experiment more, right? Because it's just a very short experience. And, you know, actually, for for the listeners that don't know what a game jam is, could you kind of explain that to them? Yeah, sure. Um, it's typically a weekend and there's a theme, usually a theme or a prompt. And you are, it's usually very broad, so you can experiment underneath that. And you can either stay the entire weekend, or if you are a tired adult like I am, you <laughs> go home at the end of the day, you, and then you come back in the morning, and you are just free to like make a game, and then you present all your work at the end of the, the jam, usually on a Sunday night. Awesome. And then it, for those that are looking to participate in these types of, uh, these types of events, game jams and stuff like that, like, how did you find them? Uh, and what would you recommend for others that are looking to do the same? I found them through, um, so I was in the UCF, uh, I forget what it's called. It was a game, game development club at the university. So I was involved in that. And then I also worked at this place called E2I Creative Studio, which was essentially an indie studio that for serious games that was funded by the university because we did a ton of like research into uh, simulation and training. Mm -hmm. So somebody there was like, Hey, do you want to do a jam? I had never done it. I think I was like 22 at that point. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So we ended up going, this was the space theme one. And we made this game that was very, we were inspired by mass effect and it was going to be this really big game. It actually was not fun. We didn't finish it, but it was a really fun experience. We got pizza and like, we just hung out and, I was really proud that we finished something. That was awesome. Right on. 
And then another thing that you touched on is that you went to UCF and like there are so many game development schools in the world. How did you decide there and like were there any other options? Was this a difficult decision for you? Like what was that like for, for you choosing your school? That's a touchy topic because there is Full Sail there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like this battle against UCFers plus Full Sail. But um, I chose it because it was close to my home. I grew up in Florida on the beach side. And I also got a scholarship to a state school um, anywhere in Florida. I don't think that's available right now. It's called Bright, Bright Features. So it was just easy for me. All my friends were there. Um, the school is really great. It's a huge school. They have a lot of opportunities. Um, and it was just cheap. Um, I did not choose full sale because it is very expensive and I just didn't have the money. Um, but I think I got a great education out of it and great networking out of UCF. And I think my only regret, which is not really a regret is I just didn't move out of state as a, as a college student. Um, I'm more than making up for it these days, but (laughs) I would recommend like going to a school that's out of state to like get new experiences um, but don't break the bank. <laughs> so can you touch on that a little bit? Getting new experiences, like what, what does that mean to you? And like, how has that helped you develop in ways where you had it open up, you know, ideas that you never knew of before you had moved out of state? Yeah, um, it definitely opened up my mind to other points of view. Um, so growing up in Florida, I didn't interact with a ton of diversity um and and just thinking um and and then i moved to the bay and there were like lots of they were immigrants that i i just didn't have that perspective Mm. and they shared their stories with me and i was like wow that's that's like a whole different world that i haven't lived in and i love that uh being able to see like what other people are going through and um on top of that just like traveling and in general so recently i'm in texas right now but i just drove across the country from California. Um, and I met up with my friends in New Mexico and went camping. And one of my very favorite things is to just road trip with music on. And that's honestly when I have my best ideas, because you see so much stuff all, the, all over the place. And you're taking pictures and you can revisit the pictures. Um, I don't know if you have ever been on a road trip, but it's super inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. And like that, that just makes me want to dig into kind of your brain as a designer. Because the way that you think is different from the way that a lot of other people think. Like, I'm sure that you find so much inspiration around the world with things like the design of cars, the design of apps, the design of hardware and software. Like, what what is it like to be in the mind of a designer on a day-to-day basis? Um, So I'm working on a project at Niantic that I've been on for a year. And... um, it's really easy once you've been working on something for a year to like not come out for air and not understand like looking at it holistically. So I've been on break for two weeks and doing these traveling and stuff. And I just needed the time to get more inspired because when you're working on a game, you're just like in it and you're trying to solve all these problems all the time. And like I'm working on game systems and game tooling and I'm constantly talking to 50 people at a time. And being a designer is really just like, you have so much scope and you have to uh, curate all of these ideas from everybody because mm-hmm. it's not just your ideas. It's mostly not my ideas. It's mostly me curating other people's input 
and then siphoning it down into something that works with the existing systems. And sometimes you, you need a break and you, you take a break and you get inspired by, this is going to sound silly, but like I review bathrooms on Instagram with my friends <laughs> and just looking at all of the design of bathrooms and like different architecture and different wallpapers and different patterns. Um, this goes into all the visual look of game designer or, or even like the architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say that that, that goes into that feeds into any of the game systems, but it's just really great to, to take a break when you are getting so into something, um, because you can burn yourself out and you won't even realize it. That's cool. And so I understand that you've been working on like whatever the project is for a year. You take this time off. Um, how do you balance like 50 opinions of the people in the studio with like the user experience for the end user? Because I've been working in AR and I've noticed more and more lately that user experience is kind of king with VR and AR. Um, so what I like to, the process that I like to go through is, um, we're in a stage of development where we're getting user feedback, but in the beginning, I would start these structured brainstorms with the dev team. Um, typically people brainstorm, I've seen people do this where they just like get everybody into a room and they're like, talk, everyone talk. (laughs) But I find that really frustrating as somebody that doesn't like to be assertive or aggressive sometimes. And I'm just like over it. So a lot of people on my team are similar to that. So we get them into a spreadsheet and I have some prompts. It's very similar to game jam where it's like, give me all your ideas onto the sheet. And then I use that to look at our existing game systems, um, all of our existing assets, and then like looking at our timeline with the producer um, and curating that. But then, then you're adding the user feedback as well. So, um, I have worked in places where I've had people like uh, live ops working to collect all of this information and then mm-hmm. uh, give back sentiment reports for us. So, I am very in the community, um, but I would definitely recommend like just relying on your community managers and your live ops people okay. and looking at okay. those sentiment reports rather than diving into it yourself unless you're an indie because everyone is going to fixate on something on they may ne- they may not even be intending to do that but your community manager is going to try and be unbiased and then collect the trends for you to look at rather than you looking at one post from somebody who's very vocal and very loud and then you fixate on that um so yeah sentiment reports trending um, but as an indie, I guess I would probably do the same thing and just collect, like, scrape for keywords um, without a community manager. And, like, you mentioned the working in the game development environment and having to deal with all of the different opinions. Um, I know that before you started into the industry, you had a certain mindset about <laughs> making video games, right? What are some of the aha moments that you've had now that you're on the other side and you're actually making the games and not just playing them? Like for me, for me in particular, like I, it blew my mind how much work actually goes into making a video game. It's not just something that pops up out of nowhere. Like all of the things that have to be thought about from the the sound to the the stages to the color schemes to 
um, how the monetization is going to work and things like that. And those, those, those are things that just blew my mind because I didn't even realize that somebody had to think about these. So I'm guessing like as a designer, there's, there's some like <laughs> aha moments that you've had too, right? Yeah, I think one is I've always worked really closely with QA, um, quality assurance. And it's, it's really true that the 90% of, what is it? The, the saying where it's like 10% is the hardest part yep, you get the there and then yeah shipping it at the end is the hardest part. So I didn't realize how true that was until I've been in it. Um, because you have all these bugs that are constantly popping up all the time and QA is doing so much work to reproduce this, all these bugs. Like it's not just the bugs, something might break in the game. And then we, as a dev team have to help them reproduce it. Um, there might be multiple reproductions and um, just, yeah, figuring out how to stabilize everything has been uh, a bigger task than what I initially thought, especially on bigger games, like what I'm working on, um, than something at a, a game jam where at a game jam, you're like, oh, it's, it's kind of broken. I'm not going to, I may not revisit this, so it doesn't matter as much. Um, definitely also the marketing team, like working with the marketing team and just getting all the brand guidelines done, um, interfacing with other teams who may be using those uh, branding guidelines that you are making for this game. Um, like that's, these are full-time jobs where the designer is part of every single one. Uh, so yeah, the designer just has a huge scope on all of these, these games. And how, gotcha. how do, what's the, what's the structure like as a designer? Do you work with a team of designers? I understand you're like the lead. Um, are there certain tasks that you de defer to maybe like associate or junior level, mid-level designers? I am the only game designer on my team. There is a UX designer and then another like hybrid UX designer technical artist. So that is another aha moment that I had at some point where you really just have to like, I've, I've never historically been great at delegation, um, but you really just have to like trust your, your team and what I do is I, I just trust the UX designer to do whatever he's going to do. Um, mm. I just don't have the scope or the bandwidth to worry about it all the time. So I'm like, I need this. This is the game system. This is how it should work. Here are the mechanics. Um, I need you to solve this problem. Like these are the problems. And I personally don't like to give them solutions in the beginning because it takes brain power for me. And I also want to trust them to create the solutions and feel agency and empowerment to do their job and they usually do something really awesome so <laughs> i trust them to do whatever they're gonna do um but that's been the the general um structure of the team and then we also work with um niantic actually just shipped uh lightship mm -hmm. which is an ar dev kit platform so we right. work with that team as well to kind of like battle test the tools Wow, that is awesome. And then you mentioned that uh, you work with other types of designers. So like you're the lead, you said you also work with UX and UI. For aspiring designers out there, can you talk about what are some of the other like specialty design, um, I guess, professions that are out there? Because I know there's so many of them and I like you having the insight, uh, what can you share? Sure. Um, I'll start with game design because I feel like a lot of people have misconceptions about what game design is and there are different people who specialize differently. I know I said I was a generalist, but I do have a data science background and I work with data science very often. So like as a game designer, you should be 
responsible for all the playtesting, all of the gathering of the data, synthesizing of the data, qualitative and potentially um, like quantitative. Um, I actually did all of the structures for some of the reporting in the past projects that I've done and then handed it off to a DS. Um, and then also, it's not just like getting like your own ideas, it's curating all of the team's ideas and then making systems and tools for other people on the team and art, other designers to be able to implement those things. Um, so the other designers that I've worked with in the past have been UX designers. So on like mobile games, that would mean like screens, like 2D screens, working in Figma, working in Illustrator, um, or in like prototyping. So I've worked with 3D designers who are working on um, mechanics of things. So like in VR, like touching things, like how does this button feel? Where is this architecture placed? Um, which feeds into level design, which is really just like the holistic architecture of the, the space. So I've created quite a few puzzle games in Facebook Horizon, um, Horizon Worlds, I think it's called now. And what I would do is like create the top down of the experience of the level and then map that out in VR. So for everybody who doesn't know what Facebook Horizon is, it's a VR platform where you can like make games, make experiences in VR. Um, and then what the level level designers would do is go in and like uh, figure out if the space felt good, like where we need to have, we would work on like first person shooter things, where we needed to have um, choke points, that type of thing. Um, other designers, content strategy. Um, so as a game designer, I'm writing a lot of the content and that includes uh, lore, narrative, just general text, like informational text, first time user experience text. And I'll pass that off to a content strategist. Um, they could also be called narrative designers too. Um, I think content strategy is more tech term than games term. And they'll go in and do a pass on just editing. Do, is the language right? Are we using any words that we don't like the mood on? Are, is our grammar correct? Are we using an Oxford comma or not? Um, other punctuation, that type of thing. Uh, those are all the designers off the top of my head. That, that opens up my mind to so many different possibilities for um, just opportunities and, and jobs. So one of the things I wanted to ask was, obviously you've probably come across a bunch of different designers. Have you noticed anything regarding like formal versus informal education? Like, are there, is there anyone that has gotten into video games that hasn't gone through the traditional four year college degree like you have? Uh, yeah, totally. Um, I think there's, there's two worlds that I've lived in and that's the indie and that's tech, just like tech games, triple uh, A-ish stuff. I haven't worked at, I think you've worked at a lot more AAA stuff, obviously, than I have. Um, and I've gone the more tech route where we're working on platforms and such. And I've typically encountered people who have uh, master's degrees or bachelor's degrees um, or PhDs. But there are people like when I worked at Facebook, I got to work with people like Mike Booth, uh, who made Left 4 Dead. And I think he might just have a bachelor's. I don't think he has a master's. 
and people like uh, Lucy Bradshaw and Rachel Franklin, and I, I don't remember their education, but, like, they came from Maxis, and they just worked in, like, traditional games, and they got into uh, large tech companies, too. So I think it's more about, like, what you can accomplish in your life um, rather than your education. Even though I have a master's degree, like, I could have gone the route where I just jammed all the time and made something really awesome. And in the indie world, like, that is super valid as well. Like, you go on Twitter, and most of Twitter is just, like, amazing artists, amazing game designers, um, amazing engineers. And I I don't know if they have bachelor's degrees. I don't really care, because they're awesome. <laughs> so it's really a foot in the door. Um, it's a safe way to go if you want to get networking, like, the structure for networking um, and more opportunities. Like, I definitely got more structured opportunities from going into a bachelor's degree, especially as a 20-year-old. I don't think I could have understood all of the things that I needed to do to market myself or, like, even reach out, or you reached out to me, but, like, I don't think we would have interacted at all if I hadn't had the structure behind me, Mm -hmm. I guess. I mean, potentially, but who knows? Okay, and, like, you mentioned... um possibly getting a job and working in the industry without a formal uh, education. Um, I know something that designers look for is like what to put in a portfolio, right? As a professional, what is something that like a portfolio that somebody could put together that would catch your attention? Like what's something that you would look for? I used to think that it was, I think this is the two worlds thing again. Um, where there's tech and AAA games and they're looking for highly structured portfolios where they have uh, your best work shown, not a ton of um, one-off projects that you haven't finished potentially. Like that's more suitable for a blog. Um, And then there's like the indie world where there's this person called Max Weissel, I think his name is, he works in VR and he just has this off the wall website where you can like drag some windows around and it's like super colorful and super quirky. And I've seen other indie designers that have those types of websites where it's like very non-traditional, but it catches my eye personally because I know that they're creative. I know that they think outside of these like structured portfolio boxes. Um, And they're also doing like things on Twitter, things on LinkedIn and like marketing themselves as that type of person. Um, But definitely if you're looking to get into places like Riot or... Uh, Blizzard, like having something that's more structured, um, where you have pieces that have, if you're an artist, maybe, or I'll talk about game design, I guess. If you're a game designer, you're showing the breadth of your work. Um, You're showing up-to-date work. You're showing how you collaborated with different people in the team. Um, Maybe some art that you've done. Maybe some games tooling that you've done. uh, Maybe some writing that you've done. And showing the process on how how you got there. So do you, gotcha. so you care more about kind of the journey and how well they can explain it versus I guess the form, because I know that you come from a you have more of a technical background, so maybe creating a prototype would have been would have been easier. But like a lot of game designers do do not come from that background. I know. Yes, and I think that most game designers should have a little bit of a technical background because you're working with very technical people and like. I personally am asking the engineers, we have like a team of 10 engineers or something, and I'm constantly delegating work to them as a game designer. 
So like I have to know exactly what the requirements are and what I am asking them to do. And I have to be able to answer their questions when they're like, what does this thing do and how should it act? And like, how does it hook into this other thing? Um, and like, what does the game, the underlying game system look like? Um, we have, I think a lot of places have these like data management systems. So we have a data management system and I'm really designing the data management system on the, the game side in engine. Mm -hmm. So like I have to be able to speak to engineers about how to do that. Um, and having scripting background and, and blueprints background really helps me, um, just easily talk to them. So you mentioned like sprucing up your technical skills for somebody that's looking to get into game design what are some of the programs that you would recommend that they start learning and how could they actually find those programs yeah um i have another story i would say get into blender and get into maya but the longer story is i managed an intern program in uh at ucf and there was this person who was really into Blender at that time, and I think I was probably 25, so six, seven years ago. Um, and everybody else is using Maya, and I was like, you should use Maya. This is like the industry standard. I know that it's paid, but like, this is how you're gonna get a job um, using Maya. And I think I've changed my tone since then because I don't think the tool really matters. Like Blender is super popular now, and it's free to use. Um, and it's just as powerful, if not more powerful than Maya for a lot of things. So I think it's less about the tools these days and more about just like getting really great at something and practicing that and having an end result that is really interesting or fun or useful or whatever you're trying to go for, like a use case, um, rather than saying like, I'm trying to pad my resume with like all of these these tools and softwares and you you touched on um managing an intern program that that piqued my interest can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah so i started at the place called e2i um at the university it was the serious game studio uh indie studio and i started as an intern i was unpaid um i just i quit my data science job and I wanted to finish my undergrad. Uh, so I worked at E2I and um, was just, I had never made games. I had never worked in Unity. Um, we had, our first assignment was a group project with like a ton of other people. And I was like, I'm gonna work alone because I'm so insecure about my, my skills right now. And I feel super embarrassed and everybody else seems like they kind of know what they're doing. So I went off and I like read a book and I made my own project. Um, I learned a lot about Unity. And after that point, I was hired by the studio as the game designer. Um, so I led all these, uh, it was a team of 10 or something. And every semester, every summer we had, um, I'm sorry, not summer, every fall we had a team of interns that would uh, work with us. So I had like 15 interns at this point and um, we would do game jams like this is where i i either organized game jams or i like got people to go being game jams and um, they would choose their own projects it was pretty like uh free form so 
I think I asked somebody to make a hot dog shooter in a Google cardboard at some point, just because like, I just needed them to make something like that's where I was at when I started too. It was just like, it doesn't really matter what I make. I just need to make something so I can get in a direction where I'm practicing all the time. Because really, that's like, how you get how you get a really awesome end result. Um, You'll make a great game after you make a hundred crappy games, maybe less, probably less, but like you have to make some games before you can make something really awesome. And one of the things that you touched on a little bit was dealing with insecurities. I know I have my own. I know a lot of game developers out there or aspiring game developers. They're like, I, they have that imposter syndrome. They don't know like how to get started. They don't think they're good enough. Like what type of advice would you have for those that are just like can't figure out how to make that next step? Like, do you have any tricks that you use? Like what, what's that like for you? I typically, I need a lot of thinking time. Uh, so like when we're brainstorming, I typically have to like take all this information and go back to my desk and like mold over and like toy with it. So I would suggest, um, whatever you're insecure about, uh, just taking that and going back to your desk or like going to going on travel and like thinking about it or like practicing something and just practice it alone and then eventually push yourself to like practice it with somebody else say game jam um asking your friends to go do this there's a lot of people who haven't jammed so like you're not the only person if if you feel that way um and just starting to do it and showing your stuff because there's a ton of people in the world who don't make anything they don't try so like you are trying and that's that's a very difficult thing to do and you should be very proud of that in general even if the end result is not up to par with what you envisioned and i love how you have such a positive message for um just for the game development community i was looking at your blog and i saw the how to get your job uh, in a dream in your dream uh games company and i was wondering what inspired can you tell us about this blog like what inspired you to start it and what was the process for you um, I started this blog on Medium because I always feel like there's not enough game design resources out there. We're always pointed back to the same uh, books by like Jesse Shell and uh, Eric Zimmerman, uh, Rules of Play, and I forget oh, the yeah. Art of Game Design. Oh, yeah. And there's just not enough. And I'm always looking for very specific stuff. I'm like, what content tools are out there for X? And then I don't find enough info. So I'm like, I'm going to start writing this info. I know about it. I'm actively researching it. Like, other people are going to be interested in it. So, yeah, I just started it. And it's received positive reviews. And this is this goes back into the practicing of things. Like, I started this. I didn't get a ton of feedback. I was not as good a writer as I was 15 articles later. Um, I'm sure in 15 more articles I'll be even better. Um, so yeah, just like starting to do something. And part of it was also that was when I was at Facebook, um, we use this thing called workplace, which is a a public tool and it's exactly like Facebook, but it's for work. And a lot of people would write on there, like write articles, write posts just for the general like team and the, um, internal company. And I was doing a lot of that. And then when I left Facebook, I had take I took some of it with me because it was like general non Facebooky stuff like game design stuff, 
And then I left Facebook and I was like, I don't have, I don't have a following. Like I have nothing now that I've left this company, even though I had like thousands of followers there. So after that, I was like, I really need to take control of my own career and like put this out publicly somewhere that is under my name and not at somebody else's company. Um, and I just felt like I needed to do that so that I wouldn't go into another situation where I like putting my life into a company and then I leave for one reason or the other and I don't have it anymore. So that was definitely, yeah, a catalyst for that. Understood. And that's so awesome that you're sharing your, just the gifts that you have in your brain with the rest of the game development world. Um, I know you also mentioned that you're doing uh, public speaking engagements. Um, you mentioned that there's one in particular. Would you mind giving some details on that if you can? Yeah, so I am going to be speaking at University of Central Florida for uh, a women's group under the game design uh, game design program. Um, so they've asked me to just talk about general career advice. I'm sure it'll be very similar to this, but what I'm going to be speaking about is... Um, my current structure of my presentation is all the things I learned in school versus all the things I didn't learn in school. Mm. Because when I was in school, I was like, this is everything I need to know. <laughs> I don't need any more. Uh, and I was, a, I was just a young, young person. So I learned a lot since then. I can imagine. Um, definitely understand the, the nuances between being in education. And then when you had to make the tradition, uh, transition into the traditional work environment. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's stuff that I'm still learning today. And uh, that's why we're doing this podcast is to help kind of give some insight to all of those game developers out there. Um, and another one of the things I want to talk about is obviously you're a gamer and there's some games that you've played that have inspired you. Like what were those most impactful games that helped you decide that, Hey, you know what? I want to do this as a profession. Um, so I think this has changed over time. Definitely the Sims, as the Sims and Neopets were big, uh, inspirations for me because Neopets would let me be involved in this community, this virtual world as, as an escape. And then also it gave me this store that I could completely overhaul, um, similar to MySpace where you like can change all of the facade of it. And I found that really interesting because it was the interse intersection of art and technology in this like other world. So that was great. And then um, another one was The Sims. And at that point that had come out, um, it was the original one. I figured out a way to like mod some of the skins. So I was doing that. And um, obviously that was really awesome. And I've, I've moved towards like UGC user generated user-generated content games since then, like Facebook Horizon, High Fidelity VR. Um, even the thing I'm working on is a little inspired by that. Um, and I think it was just, it's changed over time. So Space Station Silicon Valley was an N64 game um, by Rockstar that is inspiring me to this day and the things that I'm making. And uh, I'm always just looking at specific games. Like I'm looking at narrative games right now because I'm really interested in uh, making a shorter played game. Um, I've always worked on these live games too. So having something that ends is really interesting to me at the moment because I'm kind of just like, I don't want to work on something that lives forever anymore. Um, yeah, so it changes all the time. I think 
my best advice is just to like play a bunch of games, even if you think you won't like it. Like I played Left 4 Dead and I'm not a violent gamer. Like I don't like violent games, but my friend made it. So I was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going I'm to play it just so I know what it's like um, and see like what was in his brain when he was making it. Can you, can you speak a little bit on, um, you mentioned specifically narrative games being something that you're focusing on. Like, what are some resources that you've used? I noticed on your LinkedIn, you were reaching out to people um, saying, hey, is there any courses on this? Um, that's something I'm also looking into as well, working on like a little side project with some friends. And I'd love to get some more resources on that. Nice. I would love to hear about that more. Um, I have just been playing like Night in the Woods. Um, I played Absu and Firewatch and um slime rancher is a little intersection of like narrative and uh farming simulations that i love um but generally like i haven't found a ton of resources for narrative writing um i've just gotten into it because i want to build a world and i follow um, a subreddit called uh world building and i found a few resources there i'm happy to share them with you um and then there's some Neil Gaiman uh, podcasts that I've been listening to with David Tennant that have been interesting. Um, yeah, I feel like right now there's the opportunity for narrative games in general because live games have become such a thing. And I think a lot of us find reprieve in like finishing something and being done with it. Um, and I think I've heard a lot of players just in like focus groups kind of say that too. And I've seen a lot of my friends uh, leave the live services industry because they're they also want that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm I've been inspired by that. I think that there'll be a lot of opportunity for indies uh, in general in the next couple of years. Just um, the mobile gaming market is a little bit dire at the moment. So, make cool mobile games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, my friend and I are we're. Uh kind of we've been talking about this as well right you know a lot of focuses on live kind of making sure that uh people keep coming back for more but um we're working on a side project right now where we kind of um we have like a character with amnesia have you ever seen the thing the old movie the thing yeah basically it's it's for for those of you out there you guys are probably more familiar with like among us it's the def it's the same type of idea of like you don't know who the killer is, um, except everyone's already dead. Um, so we've been kind of working on that. I've been having a lot of fun, you know, creating backstories on a spreadsheet and, you know, going back and forth on, oh, does this work? Does this work? How do you want to set this this environment and stuff like that? Um, I can't recall the name of it. Steve, you did send me something on LinkedIn. Um, I can actually I can find it after the call if you're interested. Um, go back to my messages. But mostly I have a friend who actually studied game design at uh, NYU. Um, and I've just been kind of studying his game design documents and the style of writing that he does and what I like, what I don't like. And I've just been kind of using that to influence how I've been um, designing my narratives. There's probably somewhere where, uh, I mean, there's like the classic story arc in movies. I'm sure there's something there that we can learn from as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely. definitely. 
Yeah. Um, I think Byron mentioned uh, it was somebody that I, I connected with on um, on LinkedIn. His name is Isaac Phoenix, and he put together an entire like forty some page document mm-hmm. on his process on um, on narrative design. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's also writing a book right now. So um, yeah, he he's he said, hey, take this document and share it with everybody. Um, so yeah, I've been definitely promoting him because he's just an awesome dude that I've that I've connected with. Um, and then going back into some of the stuff that we were talking about is that you, you mentioned some of the trends that are going on in video games right now, like people leaving, um, you know, infinite games into something that has more of an end. What are some other trends that you're seeing moving forward? Yes. I always question whether, how large these trends are because I'm so in it and I'm, I feel like I might be, um, surrounding myself with it. But that book came out, I forget what it's called, the Blood, Sweat, and Pixels book oh, yeah. after, what yeah. was it called after it? I can't remember, but I know what yeah. you're talking about, the sequel. So it's about game industry and, like, the burnout in the industry and just how, like, devs were working with publishers and such. So um, I just read that, and then we had the pandemic and, well, not in that order, but um, a lot of my friends left um, Facebook um, that were like these big name devs and they went and started their own thing. So I think a lot of the trends that we're seeing is people are like, I'm a millennial and a lot of my friends are at the stage in their life where they've been at these companies. They have accomplished what they want to within the structure of someone else's company. And they're looking to start their own thing and they have the means to do it or they're finding the means to do it. And so I've seen these people leave. I think a lot of indie studios have been starting up. Um, how many of those will succeed? I don't know, but like hopefully a lot of them. And the general perception, just from like the world's perception of these tech companies, is not great. So like we all know Meta and Facebook, and we all know some other companies. I don't, I don't need to name them, but um, yeah, these larger companies are just poorly viewed at this point and I think people are really interested in seeing the underdogs do well and like seeing the little people like get powerful and show their art and show their perspective so um some of that's one of the trends I've seen um I think that mobile in general um there's not just there's just not a ton of mobile games that I'm interested or my friends are interested in there's like Stardew Valley ports which Stardew Valley is amazing um I played Florence and Monument Valley but a lot of them are like the market is so saturated with clones of some other game that I think anyone that is willing to go outside of the box and like make something really interesting and strange is going to be uh celebrated and it takes a lot of like takes a lot of gumption to go and do that because like a lot of these companies are look are just looking at trends um of other things so like user generated content is a huge trend right now roblox is doing really well they've been working on roblox for like a decade vr chat has been working on it for like seven years or something and they're doing really well and we're seeing all these other places that want to do ugc or they want to make it marketplace or they want to do nfts or something and i think people are just kind of over it and they want something new and i don't know what that new thing is um 
but I'm excited to see it. Is there anything in particular that you would love to see? I mean, I know as a game designer, there must be some ideas that you have in the back of your mind that maybe if you had all the time in the world, you would love to work on, like you mentioned, narrative games and stuff like that. I would love to see. So I wrote that article going back to the dream job thing um, about Niantic because I got my degree, my my grad degree in location-based games. And I was like, Niantic is going to be the place that I go to eventually. So I got here. I love location-based games. I love driving people to different places. And like, I love going to restaurants and bars and like parks and museums. So I would love to see more location-based games, um, whether that's on Niantic's platform or elsewhere or alternate reality games, ARGs, uh, or puzzle hunts. So like I'm currently making a puzzle hunt in San Antonio where I'm located. Um, that's about grackles and the mayor and the mayor being powered by grackles and the grackles have all left San Antonio. Sorry. A grackle is a bird as well. Yeah. I was going to ask people about who that. Don't know. <laughs> Uh, it's a very annoying bird that people either love or they hate. So um, I'm using a puzzle hunt structure to like drive people to these different places. And I would just love to see more communities make more of that because the only reason I'm able to do this type of game is because I know the San Antonio community. Um, I know that the mayor is awesome and everybody loves the mayor. And I know that people either hate or love this bird. And I know the Riverwalk area and like where the hot spots are, and where the cool spots are. So just having other creators make these types of ARGs or puzzle hunts or just location-based things would be really awesome so that we can explore our real world and like see what's around us and interact with our community rather than sitting in our house during a <laughs> pandemic and playing a live game. <laughs> and you mentioned that this is a project that you're working on. Like how could people learn more about that? Like, is there a website? Um, cause it sounds super cool and I'm like, I, I kind of want to get involved myself. Like what, what would somebody be able to do to, to learn more? I'm currently working on it. It is, I have a Twitter account for it called where are the grackles and I'm working on, um, the website for it now. And I hope to have it out in February and I think there will be press on it because people have reached out to me already. Oh, cool. That's awesome. And, um, how do you spell crackles by the yes. way? It's G-R-A-C-K-L-E-S. L-E-S. Okay. Okay. L-E-S. Okay. Yeah, I'm writing yeah. this. <laughs> right on. And like, there's so many things that I know that you're working on, so many ideas that you have in your head. Um, how do you see your like career path moving forward? Um, like, are there any big dents that you want to make in the video game industry? Like, what, what's your vision like looking for you? I just want to make something that I really love. Um, I think that I was always in, all in on VR, and I've kind of drifted away from that, and I've kind of moved more towards just, like, these location-based things, and I think that's what I would like to continue doing. Um, I got really tired of putting a VR headset on my face, but it is very fun <laughs> and, like, very awesome to build things in VR. I would love to be able to empower other people to create games with some like narrative structure and like uh, puzzle hunt structure um, in the real world. I don't know what that looks like right now, but um, I think I will probably next do something 
uh, on my own and make something that I really care about. Not that I don't, I, I care about all the things that I work on, but like, there's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And being able to follow your heart, follow your passion with the things that are internally driving you is so important. And that's why I love talking to game developers because you have a pretty good idea that they're doing something that they love, right? Um, as opposed to some of the people that just kind of fall into jobs just because like their parents wanted them to do that. So that's why I love having these conversations because they're so inspiring because you you strike me as somebody who absolutely loves what to do what you do every single day. Um, and that's a message that I never got when I was a kid and I know a lot of other kids aren't getting that too. Um, so just to be able to have this conversation is freaking awesome. So, so thank you so much for that. Um, and one kind of a selfish question that I wanted to ask is like, I know that like your games, there's, there's probably something, one experience that you've had that's like the highlight of your career. And I love listening to what are the accomplishments that you're, that people are most proud of. So what would that be for you? I, I just really love working with people. Um, and I think that just working with people to like create something together and have some end result. So many, so many things are going through my brain. Okay. The first one is just working on Facebook horizon. Um, I worked there for two and a half years and it was really awesome. All the people that I got to work with and all the people that like I became super good friends with. One of my best friends, Kat Yu, she's an artist that works on um, venues and uh, on Spark AR right now. But we became really close. Um, I met just tons of people at this place. Like one of my my most trusted mentors is uh, he went somewhere else. But like, yeah, I just met a really awesome amount of people who were very inspiring. And we got to ship the beta version of Facebook Horizon while I was there. And just being able to like, it was very stressful uh, bit while we were shipping it that last 10%, but being able to like sit at my desk with a community manager and like click go on that for like a, a group of people and having all of the feedback come in, like that was, that was pretty awesome. And then we would, um, we hit a gong to like, to say we shipped it type of thing. That was a Facebook tradition. Um, that was really, that was really great. Other times, like all the game jams that I've done have been very, very fun. Uh, the one that I told you about, um, at global at Facebook that one time was, was a really awesome end result and it was very fun. Um, there were no, like, usually there's like some tension and like decision-making and stuff, but that was very just like awesome and easy. And everybody was like, that's the decision we got to make. It was just, it felt very cohesive. Um, and then also, meeting people down the line that went to the same game jams as you or did the same things as you. So I work with somebody named Rostin right now at Niantic and they are just a creative genius. And I met him at Global Game Jam actually. And we jammed, we didn't jam uh, on the same team, but um, I always knew of his work because they always made these Alexa games that were voice activated games. And I was like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I love it. Um, so yeah, just having those like connections and meeting new people, it's not one point in time. It's really just like a weird timeline that happens throughout life. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Um, 
and holy cow i i just realized that we hit the hour and it's amazing how fast these uh these podcasts go um i'm gonna let byron kind of do his thing here i'm not sure how much time we have left if we want to keep going or not um byron like go ahead and lead the way yeah um (laughs) really good episode um yeah we are nearing the end of the hour um i didn't want to take too much more of your time um this is a really, really interesting conversation. So I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Um, are there any kind of parting words of advice you'd give anyone looking to get into um, UI, UX design, narrative design, game design, any of the fields that you've done already? And um, where can people find you? Do you have like your, I know you have your blog, do you have a website? Um, go ahead and promote any of that stuff. As well as your, um, when, when is your talk at UC, uh, UCF? I don't know. Oh, February 6th, I think. It is February 6th. I don't know if it'll be recorded or public, but... Okay. Um, so, I, thank you so much for having me. This has been really awesome, and it was great to meet you, too. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Flex Mandeville, and then also on Medium at um, medium.com slash Alexia Mandeville, I believe, or it might be the other way, and LinkedIn, Alexia Mandeville. Awesome. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, parting advice? Uh, just yeah. make the thing. Start. Just start. <laughs> just start and share it and get over that fear of like sharing it and being embarrassed because everybody's going to love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And all right. So that concludes this episode of the Empower Podcast. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. This is also really cool for us because this marks the first episode of the new year. So I guess we could call it uh, season two of the Empower Podcast. Thanks. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> See you guys next time. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.